Hi guys, I'm your host Tim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of We Need to Talk About Movies, a podcast brought to you by the Bantaflix Movie Review website. So this week we're going to be talking about Silence the Lambs. It was one of Banterflix's live watch-alongs, a wee little regular events that we do on a Friday evening. And joining me on this week's show is our very own Darren Vincent. Hello, how's it going? I'm good, Darren. How are you? How are you enjoying lockdown life? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting very much used to it at the moment. I'm starting to wonder what it's going to be like on the other side of this and how I'm going to cope with it. But I'm looking forward to it. There's... You know, every day is, is good news and I'm, it's, it's, there's more like a, a positive approach to things now. It's not just all doom and gloom anymore. So we'll see. Give it another month. See how we are. Darren, I'm starting to get a bit worried here because you're starting to talk like, you know, that old guy in the Shawshank Redemption who when he finally gets released and then just kind of goes out and just can't understand, uh, can't, can't cope with life outside prison. So, well, unfortunately comes to, you know, an unfortunate end. But, you know, I'm getting yeah. worried here. Should, should, he, should, our, should our listeners be worried, Darren? You shouldn't be because when you when you think about it, I have actually been socially distancing years before the lockdown and this whole pandemic sort of kicked in. So I'm the type of guy that if I'm in a cinema screen and someone sits in the same row as me, I'll move. You know, I'll I'll move to the edge of the screen. So, so you're but, gonna if we're gonna go back to Shawshank here, you're gonna be Morgan Freeman, maybe a bit of Tim Robbins, but you're not gonna be that old guy. Yeah, no, not the old guy. I'll be I'll be more Morgan Freeman in the in the middle. Yeah. Now I know our next guest the lovely Therese Ray. I bet every time she watches Shawshank Redemption, she cries at that. How did you not cry? Well, do you not, do you not get a bit desensitized after a bit when you're like, oh, here he is. Oh, God's sake. All right, then. He can't work at the shop. All right. All right come on. You know, first couple, first 10 times, yes, Therese, I do cry. But after a while, it's like, oh, fuck's sake. Here we've got to go. Got to go through this again. Come on. Get out. Get over and done with you, old bastard. I wouldn't say that uh, it's been a solid, you know, blub fest every time. I mean, singular tears now, but it's God love. Like, wee Brooks, who's been away for however long, finally gets out to live his life. And people just can't even give him the time of day to, to pack bags in a supermarket. Like, it's not fair. Mm. And it, do you know what? See, if you're desensitized to it now, well, just... There's no hope for anybody. Says more about me. I'm just a, a raging sociopath, Therese. That's all I can say. That's how are you? How are you finding lockdown life now? You know, it's starting to ease a little bit. It's the not quite lockdown, lockdown. You know, we're starting to see potentially light at the end of the tunnel. We've got football back. You love football as much as me. I know Darren loves football as well, but you're probably the most football mad of all three of us here Therese so clearly you must have been enjoying the the return of the Premier League. Oh it was and then I remembered how shit United were before it all happened like went into lockdown so um yeah I was like just delighted for it to come back because I was watching the Bundesliga and I, I did actually enjoy that um and then I had this real false sense of hope and in my mind, you know, I was like, oh, it's going to be a 4-1 win, and absolutely not. It was just shocking. How long into that game, Therese, did, did you find yourself being reminded, oh, yeah, United are a bit shy at the minute? Um, I, do you know what? I held out until, until um, Spurs goal, 
and then the goal came and then I went, that's right, they are shite. Did you feel, um, your, feel yourself shouting at the screen a bit like Roy Keane at half time and just wanting to get a taxi for our poor old David? No, it was just, I actually just kind of felt more deflated. And then, you know, with that on, we were doing the watch along as well. So I eventually turned it off because it just, I just couldn't be bothered watching it. Um, mm. But I believe, I wholeheartedly believe everything Roy Keane said. You can have your own opinion, but he's totally right. That's all right. We're not going to fall out with you over here. This is, after all, a movie review podcast. We're not really right. going to get into the ins and outs of football. But my last question, just before we do, and I'll come back to you, Darren. I don't know if you've watched any football since it's returned as well. But, Therese, are you watching it with the artificial sounds? Or are you watching it just when you get to hear the managers just shouting, Pass it! Pass it! Tackle! Pass it! We did, I think, yeah, on Wednesday, we watched it with the sounds. And then I was like, and I actually feel like I'm playing FIFA and we just we've turned it off since and it kind of has it's a, like a weird like a weird natural effect to it suppose at the end of the day it shouldn't really matter if you can hear sounds or not um the crowd atmosphere is obviously one of the the best things that you would get if you've ever been to a match mm-hmm. like it, it is unreal um so I suppose the sounds maybe are more show for the footballers, if, if they're able to hear, but no, we, we, we've stopped. Have you been listening with the sounds? I've done a bit of both. I find them both weird and unsettling. They're, yeah. I don't know which I'm going to get used to. I kind of prefer the artificial sounds just because it feels a bit more normal, but then it's like there's a, there's a shot on goal and they clearly have used sound effects of a goal being scored and crowds going mental and you're just like, that's not right. So maybe they'll just get slightly better at that. I am disappointed that there's no Asian sex dolls like they had in the Japanese right. Football League. I was kind of really hoping for that. But what about you, Darren? Just before we move on and get into this week's show, have you been watching any of the football since it's been back? Yeah, I watched it, you know, with a sort of morbid curiosity. Like, you know, it reminds me of when, say, a club has been banned or they've, they've done something, like their fans have done something bad and they've been banned from the ground for a match. And you, I remember, I think it was like an Inter Milan game and they were playing with no fans and it was just great to hear the players interact with each other and shout and call for the ball. You think that's all just natural to them, but you know that's the sort of beauty of the Italian league whenever you bring that back to the English Premier League it's just it's people calling each other all sorts of things and you know it can you actually miss the crowd more but I was watching the match on Friday night it was the the sound was pumped in and I was just thinking the guy doing the soundboard must have a real job on his hands you know he has to sit and he's like right that's chance where's the chance button over there and then he goes and then all the (laughs) oohs and ahs yeah I know we're not a footballing podcast, but my favourite bit from the entire night was because uh, I had I was kind of watching on split screens between our, our watch along and the football. But I think was it one of the penalties? I think it was the first penalty with Bruno Fernandez took that the Tottenham Stadium clearly some great bastardiness on display. They put music on just before the penalty got took, and <laughs> yeah. I was like, I salute you. You know, I don't quite like you, but um, you know, I quite like that level of uh, bastardiness. Right, let's not get stuck on talking about football and all that type of things. Let's move on and get into this. This week's show. Right, guys. So we're going to be talking a bit of recent movie news. Of course, we saw the sad news that Sir Ian Holm has passed away, known to many as Ash from Alien or Bilbo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, that must have 
been one of those bits of movie news that just got you by the heart and just no okay do you know i think any sort of you know well well known say legendary actor like ian holm people know him from alien and from lord of the rings but he was also in quite a lot of mm-hmm. other films that you wouldn't realize like he voiced a character in ratatouille and mm-hmm. um you know i think he was also in from hell i'm mm-hmm. almost sure which i know some people maybe haven't seen it or don't appreciate it but it's the film about jack ripper but yeah it I suppose he's one of those actors, you know, like like Ian McKellen and Patrick Strayer, those guys that almost feel like they're going to be around forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hearing the news that he did pass away was quite sad. And um, there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of tributes. Um, but one of the ones I'd seen was um, Josh Gad um, was doing, he's been doing like the reunited a reunion. Reunited Apart, um, I enjoyed the, the Goonies one, Back to the Future, and they had done one with Lord of the Rings. Um, and obviously Ian wasn't well, so he wasn't able to come on. And they read this lovely letter from him, and it was just, you know, talking about all, all the, the good times that he had making the films. And, you know, it, reflecting on that, knowing now how ill he was, it, it's just quite sad, and it, it's going to be a real loss as well. Yeah, I was reading Peter Jackson, wrote a lovely piece about when they approached Ian Home for returning as Bilbo for the Hobbit movies to kind of bookend those uh, those three films. Should never have been three films. Should never have been. But that's a discussion for a different day. And if you get a chance, check it out. I think it was for Deadline. I think he wrote the piece and he kind of talked about his memories of going to film those. And it was around then when they were filming The Hobbit that they, they knew that he wasn't well... He was struggling to remember lines and that this would be his last acting performance. And we as viewers and punters were never aware of that watching that. And I think he kind of said a line like, you know, he hoped that most people would just see Bilbo Baggins on screen again. But for him, the director, he saw Ian Holm probably given one of his last performances in front of the camera. So I have to say, if you have, I'll put it up in the, the Facebook feed. But Darren, what about you? Did that, as I say, grab your attention for all the wrong reasons? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, growing up watching the Lord of the Rings films and, and The Hobbits and, and yes, believe it or not, I have actually seen the Alien trilogy. Um, yeah, two thumbs up this week. Um, so seeing that, and I remember watching that and also sort of pairing that with, you know, Kubrick's Space Odyssey, you know, mm-hmm. he had a, a real part to play in having given me a real distrust of any sort of life form, a robotic life form that's sort of humanoid. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad to see. I know reading up on him, he did have some trouble like earlier in life. I think he's a cancer survivor as well. Mm-hmm. And then he, he did the Lord of the Rings films after that. And, you know, it's sad to hear. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we it's an actor we can look back on. Um, such a, a great history and, you know, the amount of war, awards he has won and, you know, no controversy behind him as well, which yeah. is always great. So it's just, it's sad to see, but at least we're, we're celebrating. Yeah. The one thing I was kind of surprised by, I was reading up, and I think I'd heard that before. I couldn't believe that as a performer, he suffered from terrible stage fright. And you just kind of think, you know, someone who... Just, you know, I suppose working on stage, I've done some limited stage work over the years, you know, I do get terrified and petrified, but you think when you, 
kind of have been doing it for that long but I think he was someone that did suffer from serious uh, stage fright at one point in his career and another film that just came to mind and it's I kind of picked because I know there's films like Chariots of Fire I know he was in as well was uh, The Fifth Element I'd forgotten he's in The Fifth Element and he's absolutely just these wonderful kind of fatherly like figures as this priest like character who's just lovely so yeah it's uh, I know it's probably the the raw. I've been, well, I've been looking for an excuse to watch the Lord of the Rings films in lockdown, so now I have an excuse, and I haven't revisited Alien for a while, and I just want him to terrify me because he genuinely terrified me in Alien in the Alien film. But uh, generally, if we move away from that, you know, a couple other bits of news I saw. There's talk now, and we were talking about this on our last Facebook Live podcast recording, where we were talking about how studios might want pre-existing franchises as a way of getting people back to the cinema. We were talking about this last night with Star Trek, uh, the fact that it seems to be all on the small screen, but uh, would a Star Trek movie be a type of thing that would get someone back to the cinema? And it seems that Universal want more Mamma Mia to get cinemas back. Would this get either of you guys to go to the cinema seat and boogie away and kind of become a real dancing queen in the cinema seats? Do you think there's a third story needs to be told there for the Mamma Mia franchise? Do you think it needs to become the quintessential cinematic musical trilogy what do you think Tress? I'm going to give it a hard no um I actually haven't even haven't seen Mamma Mia 2 and it would be a type of film that people would probably think that I'd jump all over but um the first one I think when I first watched it I enjoyed it love ABBA love the music and then it must have been replayed on ITV2 at least twice a day for about three years yeah it's not it's not like love actually where it's just a christmas it's just always on it's always going to be on itv too mamma mia just it's it's all year round you can have that baby going um and i i gave it the benefit of the doubt um whenever i found out that mamma mia too um that they were releasing a sequel at the time i thought yeah i'll, I'll watch it never got around to it still haven't bothered now still doing Mamma Mia reruns on ITV2. Maybe maybe they'll premiere Mamma Mia 2 now to try and get people to watch TV. Trez, you've got Cher. You've got Cher in Mamma Mia 2. I actually quite liked it. I thought, you know, for a a sequel that adopted the same approach as The Godfather Part 2, where you've got two stories, you've got a prequel and a sequel going on at the same time, it wasn't bad. And I suppose the big question, because this is what, if we do get another Mamma Mia film, this is what it's going to be based around, the songs. And ABBA have enough hits in their back catalogue to... (laughs) to be able to to cope with that so so darren are you excited would you want to go see mamma mia i know you i know because we were talking about before the recording you've been shielding so i mean would that be the type of thing next week mamma mia 3 is that going to be a thing for darren just to throw open the doors shackle out and dance his way down to the cinema and uh you know voulez-vous no, I, I would recommend staying in the house another few weeks if that was the case. If if you ever see me bursting out the door and go see Mamma Mia, you, you say, Darren, there's something wrong with you. Something's changed in uh, in your house. Over the Lockdown, last has chain- Lockdown has Lockdown changed. Lockdown has changed. There was actually a time we were talking about the football before this, but I did one of those day trip, like a bus trip over to Manchester. You go down Dublin over the Hollyhead. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Therese? Mm-hmm. I get a sense there's a Darren Vincent story here. I can feel it coming on. And are you are you okay to divulge it live on Facebook? Yeah, I am. Right. Darren, is there a PS4 involved? No, there's no. not. No, it's it's a good story. It's a good story. Right. So the 
crack on. The, the boat on the way back, it was really off. It was an, a nil each draw with Spurs. It was like Van Hal's first game, first few games in charge. Schwein, Bastian Schweinsteiger's uh, debut. That's why I made the trip because one of my favorite players of all time went over nil each and got the bus back that, that evening. So I, I've been on the go since Friday night. On the, on the way over, there's a cinema on the, the Stena. Um, it's like a wee small, like 30. But on the way over, I, I find my way. To, I was on my own. I went on my own just because I got a cheap ticket. I was like, I'm going to go last minute. And on the way over, we had to watch Into the Woods, you know, with James Corden. And so I sort of endured through that. No battery on my phone because my phone died really early on. And I was like, I'll get the Rookie glasses. mistake, Darren. Yeah. Mistake, yeah. But I was, I was saving battery for the match so I could take as many photos of, of United thumping Spurs, which didn't happen either. But on the way back, the boat was setting off from Hollyhead and they forgot to like dismantle this, like a cord or something, which snapped and wrapped around the engine underneath the boat. So we got stuck like a hundred yards away from the port of Hollyhead. And the, the captain came on, he said, right, we have to get a dive team to come and sort of swim under, unravel this thing from the engine. But they're actually in Liverpool at the minute. So it's going to be like six hours I was like oh god so I was like what am I going to do and the the bar put on like a drinks offer <laughs> so I went and got loaded up in these drinks and I was like I'm going to go to the cinema I went to the cinema and what was on it was Into the Woods <laughs> I said alright I'll watch it again I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it but like I'll, it'll do it's the only thing I can do so I started drinking and watching Into the Woods and then the captain came on again he said right they're on their way but they're a wee bit delayed and then I was like, right, okay, there must be another film on this boat. So I stormed up to the customer service desk. And the, there was like a, a customer service girl. She was clearly stressing out. Everyone, all these drunk Man United fans on the boat. And she was like, I was like, look, she thought I was coming up to complain about why the boat wasn't moving. And I walked up and I was like, do you have any other DVDs on this <laughs> boat? And she was like, she like panicked and she reached into like this drawer and started pulling all these all these books and all out and then she found a DVD and it was Mamma Mia and I was like it'll do it'll do <laughs> I remember coming back to the cinema with all it was packed full of Man United fans and I was like guys I've secured us another film and they were like really and I was like it's Mamma Mia and they were like so I see you today. I just have this really yeah. surreal <laughs> image of how many people roughly did that cinema hold, Darren? About 40, yeah, 40 <laughs> or 50 people. So 40 people. I, I'm going to imagine. Boo, okay. Lady, boo. Uh, yeah, I'm going to imagine. Right. I'm going to say, right. So I would say 38. So no, 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 let's go. 34, like jeans, United top going on. Mm -hmm. Maybe a few other ones just in just their normal everyday wear, but like this. And then yep. just one full kit wanker, <laughs> just yep. kind of rocking out to ABBA in full flow. Yeah, that's it. When I, whenever we were watching Into the Woods the first time, this old man came in. I, I say old man, he's in, he's in his 70s mm. and he came in and he sat beside me and he leaned over to me and he goes, what's this film about, Into the Woods? And I was like, it's some musical thing. And he was like, okay, no, no worry. And then he get up. And he walked, he, got, he walked out and I was like, that mustn't be for him. But he came back about 10 minutes later with his wife. He brought his wife back and he was like, oh, she like this. And I was sitting beside 
<laughs> two pensioners and I was like All right. and then I brought them back Mamma Mia they, they must have loved me you were the grandson they never That's knew it. you were the grandson Darren they always wanted yeah and um, if only yeah. they knew that such a wonderful grandson that could tell them such, such wonderful stories I think Darren you would almost win a Playstation 4 for how good your stories are you know, I don't know. Maybe there'll be some competition sometime. Right. Uh, I think we'll kind of move on. Just I know very quickly. I know, Therese, I think you saw this. It hasn't grabbed my attention. I think it's next week this goes live on Netflix. We have the trailer for Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Will Ferrell is going full Icelandic accent. Rachel McAdams is there too. Uh, I, I don't know. Will Ferrell used to be funny for me. I was talking about this in the TV show on Friday night. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the one that's going to buck the trend. I think we've seen all the funny bits in the trailer. But you've seen this, trailer. Are you maybe holding out a little bit of hope? As I think I said on the TV show, and it's the one time, you know, actually, I'm actually going to give myself a week kind of, kind of this may be an ego- egotistical, as some people say I am. I, I, I can't even reach my back. I pat in the back and say... Didn't the Father Ted Eurovision episode say everything there needed to be said about Eurovision? That's that's all I'm going to say. But, you know, are you willing to give this a chance? I don't know if you've seen it, Darren, but I know Therese has. I really feel I'm going to be negative, Nancy, but it's just, it's ruined everything I love about Europe. Like, I love it and um, my sister would watch it religiously and just hearts were broke. Um, because you know what, as well, I don't know if he's seen Iceland's entry for this year, but the song was amazing and the video was amazing. If just search uh, um, Iceland Eurovision, it's such a catchy wee song. And they would have won as well if you know what had happened. Um, but I just, I don't think it's a film that need to be ma- needed to be made. Like nobody was crying out for it. Like the fact that it got those, and there's, yeah, Will Ferrell and... Um, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, and there's a few other like decent enough actors. Pierce Brosnan's in there. Yeah, like it grabbed them. You know, probably the only one who would really know about Eurovision would be Pierce Brosnan because of Ireland winning it so many times. Well, hang on a minute, Therese. Was the point where I can imagine you as a Eurovision devotee, I don't know if there is a term for a Eurovision fan or, well, nutball would be the word I would go for. But, uh, and I mean that in the best possible way. But is the moment then when Graham Norton shows up in the trailer, you're just like, oh, come on, no, Graham. No, I, like, when I heard his voice, I was like, no, that's just a recording. And then he's there, and I, I just felt like, like, you've done Terry Wogan bad. Like, <laughs> just thought about it and was like, no, you've ruined yeah. it. Don't get me wrong, I probably will watch it because I've been watching a lot of shit at the minute. Um, we'll keep that to later in the podcast. Yep. Um... Because there's a bit, so I think the bit that'll, from the trailer, as you said, it's probably all the good bits in it, but they're the sort of countries representing each other. That sequence looks like it might be kind of funny, mm. but everything else, I mean, Will Ferrell just didn't need to have long hair either, but yeah, it's being released. People will watch it because it's on Netflix and it's easy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Sandler but, comedies do well on Netflix, so you know, yeah. it'll find an audience. Darren, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the trailers or you know anything about it? But are you are you a Eurovision devotee? Are you in any way still holding out hope that Will Ferrell can be funny? Uh, no, for both of those questions. I, I did see it on... I normally look and see what's coming out on Netflix and I did see that everyone people are anticipating the Will Ferrell Eurovision comedy and I, I thought 
that sentence has never been spoken by anyone before. Um, a new sort of Will Ferrell comedy. I, I don't know. Does it? Does he need the money? You know the way. Of course um, he doesn't. Yes, yeah, Sandler was just pumping out a, a Netflix film every three months because it was making him a fortune. But um, I don't know. I, I I'll, I'll I'll hear you guys' thoughts on it once you watch it. But let me know. But I, I don't think I'll unless so, I'll take a strong convincing to go and check that one out. Okay, what Darren's really saying there, Trez, is thank God that the watch-alongs are over for now. A hundred percent. Because Jim would have probably said, hmm, I have a plan. Let's all watch the Eurovision movie. Uh, you know what, Darren? I could be a hypocrite. I could just bring them all back. I could just, you know, a bit like Boris, I could bring back lockdown. I could bring back the watch-alongs and we'll all be like, guys, Friday night, you're not going to be doing anything else. You're not going out anywhere. You're not going to go out to the pub. Let's all watch the Eurovision Song Contest movie. Oh, yeah. But I won't because I'm actually nice and I'm not like Boris at all. But that's as political as I'll get. If you want to get political, if you want to get your political analysis from Banderflix, you're, you're searching in the wrong place. Look at Slugger O'Toole or look at Alan in Belfast. But we shall move on. And I know we're recording this via Zoom. But a few weeks ago, I managed to catch up with Brett and Drew Pierce, the writers and directors of the new horror movie, The Wretched. It's done really well in the American box office in this limited COVID-related times. And uh, we did the interview for the TV show, but that was a shorter version. And this is a longer version of that interview with the guys behind The Wretched. Are your parents home? Can I help you? Hey, sweetie. My son, he likes to play hide-and-seek. He's a handful. Is he here? No. Just, just us. Uh, if I see him, I'll let you know. Can you bring him down? So that's a clip of The Wretched, and I'm joined now by the film's writers and directors, Brett and Drew T. Pierce. Gentlemen, tell me as much as you want our viewers to know about the film The Wretched, as much as you feel they need to know going in about the film. Well, what I like people to go in loaded with is it's a story about a young man who moves in with his dad for the summer, and his family's uh, in the midst of breaking apart. The parents might be getting divorced. And he becomes convinced that the woman next door is making her children disappear. Can I it's ask? very short, not a lot of info, but I like... That's, I like that's people all people know. need to know. That is all people <laughs> need to know. Can, can I ask yeah. you guys, you know, where was the genesis of the idea for this? And then how did that mothball into the final feature that we see on screen? Well, we, we've just always loved witches and um got really excited about the idea um for for several years we were just like what what is what are what's the witch mythology like witches aren't really creatures they're usually ghosts or some sort of spirit at the end of a movie and we were like what about like the creepy women that live out in the woods you know and come out what would a modern witch be and that was sort of the germ of the idea and then we started digging into we love mythology so we started reading about all the different witches throughout the world we found um, one called Black Annis. It's a UK myth about this blue-faced hag that lives underneath a tree and devours children. And we're like, this is terrifying. And then we found another one. There, we looked through a ton. But the other one that, that sort of we worked into our movie a lot is called the Boo Hag. It's this Appalachian myth about this skin-stealing witch who um, you can salt her skin and <laughs> she'll burn alive. And we just thought those were kind of cool 
witchy sort of fairy tales and we kind of built the mythology around our, our creature around that with a couple of our own rules and we just got excited about the idea of creating sort of rules in the same way that like vampires and zombies have like 50 different rules and that's part of what makes it, them exciting movies is is that you can kind of follow like can the can the vampire come inside has he been invited can you see him in the reflection does he have a shadow all these different rules make it exciting um, so we kind of wanted to build out our own little witchy rules. Yeah, yeah. That we was wanted to define. We wanted to define the witch as a creature with rules like those other classic monsters because we felt like it really hadn't been taken advantage of yet. Listen to you guys talking there, and I've seen the film three times now. I've watched oh, wow. it, now, and uh, oh, cool. uh, the one thing it reminded me a lot of was Fright Night. You know, it, that's a that's a horror film I love. I think we kind of dubbed it here at Banterflix, Fright Night Summer Vacation is what we dubbed the wretched. You know, <laughs> were those kind of, was films like that? Because it does feel like a wonderful throwback to the horror movies of the 80s. You know, were those things that were deliberate nods? I know people have mentioned the likes of Rear Window and the likes of Disturbia. But for me, the, the film that, that was there, definitely in parts, was, you know, nods to stuff like Fright Night. Yeah, we're massive fr fans of Fright Night. We probably watched that VHS to death when we were kids. It's just kind of ingrained in our sort of storytelling brains, I think. That's just sort of a simple way into like a cool, you know, creature. It's it's probably our favorite vampire movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also think it was that time period in films like Fright Night were we were allowed to make scary but fun horror movies that were like kind of thrill ride and had elements of comedy and but gore and, and creepy moments. So I think we really wanted to make a fun horror movie again, just because you, horror has been taking itself very, very seriously in the last four or five years. And I love a lot of that very serious horror, but I was missing those fun rides like Fright Night and even like, you know, Gremlins and, and, and other stuff like this that kind of has a, sometimes a camp vibe, but also just kind of a, a, a roller coaster like fun ride vibe. So I think that was something we were trying to embrace just because we grew up with films like Fright Night and we missed that. So that, I, I think like we consciously were making a nod to Rear Window with the cast, but I think everything else just grew out of our childhood love of certain films. Yeah, it's okay to be sort of fun and cheesy sometimes, like you embrace the genre. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be so yeah. dour or serious yeah. or dark. It's also if it's lighter it's in certain sometimes. spots, when you do something scary and dark, it, it contrasts it so much. So you're like, that's really creepy that the movie just got this dark when a couple of scenes ago, it was kind of playful and fun, you know? <laughs> Was there any, at any point when you were writing the screenplay, just when you mentioned that you'd done kind of the research into witch mythology, was there at any point you thought of maybe throwing in uh, a Peter Vincent-esque character? You know, I think the only <laughs> thing we kind of really get in that is it's Google, because I mean, that's the answer for everything now. You know, I think there's a scene yeah. where one of our yeah. characters literally Googles witchcraft, but you know, was there yeah. at any point you kind of thought of, you know, throwing in that type of character that would be present yeah, in the local town? It's an interesting question. <clears throat> it's something we struggle with a lot because every sort of horror movie needs like the harbinger or the person that sort of explains the creature. And we, we, you know, we considered doing that for a while, not necessarily a Peter Vincent character, but like a somebody, someone in the town that maybe knows about the thing. But anytime we, we did, there are two things going on. One, we didn't want to make set the whole movie in the eighties. It's, it's yeah. kind of become too cliche. And we, we love doing our little nod in the opening. We have a little short intro scene that's in the eighties set in the eighties, 
but we didn't want the entire movie to take place. That feels like such a gimmick in a way. It feels like a way just to avoid the internet and cell phones. And we're like, we have to figure out how to embrace these things. The way people, yeah, and it just didn't seem honest for us. Like if I were to encounter some sort of creature or something modern day, you know, like we didn't want to ignore cell phones and we didn't want to ignore the the internet because that's what everybody does. People, you know, like, you know, the Halloween movie, the recent Halloween movie came out and I actually loved a lot about it, but I hate when they put the cell phone in jello, <laughs> <laughs> like for no good reason. It's just one of those cringeworthy moments. And we didn't want to do that either. So for us, that was one of the biggest challenges of the screenplay is like, okay, I would look up online and look for things and I would, you know, I would have cell phones. And at the end of the day for us, the, the sort of the big solution and, and you know, you can decide if it works for you or not is we just wanted to make jokes about it. Like what if he found basically a blog that feels like it was made by somebody that maybe encountered this a long time ago. Or lives in their mom's basement. <laughs> but you, if you search hard enough, you can find info and in us. We kind of figured this out doing our deep dive into mythology about every, there's a, every weirdo in the world has posted YouTube clips or weird things about like, different creatures they believe yeah, or, or why this witch is real where it exists or even like even as far as like i know somebody was a witch you know yeah. stuff and we were just like that's that like we even we even toyed with the idea of having like a vlogger or somebody online that yeah. he finds well it's kind of a funny thing too is we also we made fun of it because it was witchipedia we kind of wanted to like point at and be like <laughs> should you really trust all this information you found on the internet like yeah. maybe some of it's right maybe some of it's wrong you know so it was more, um, yeah, it's a weird thing, but we were, in the end, I'm really glad we chose to say that the internet, internet exists and that cell phones exist because, you know, I, they do. We have to figure out how to incorporate them into horror stories. I know it's like, you know, a cell phone and the internet makes an easy save that's like one dial away, but, you know, you can work them in and still have terrible things happen, you know? So. Yeah, it also opens up, gentlemen, to the fact that we could have fake news for witches. You know, maybe we've just been getting yeah. it wrong all these years, but let's yeah. not... <laughs> Let's not go down that segue. If I could ask you both, I mean, I suppose this is a nice point to bring in. You guys have a a family lineage with horror. You know, your father worked on Evil Dead. He worked with Sam Raimi. So what was it like kind of growing up with with horror and cinema being such a big part of your lives? Uh, It was just, I mean, it inspired us to make films. Like, because those guys, Sam and Bruce and my dad and all those guys, when they finished shooting Evil Dead, they just piled into our basement in Detroit to finish the final effect sequence in the movie, the big meltdown. Uh, my dad and Tom Sullivan were doing that. And Drew and I just saw it as like, that's how you make a movie. You do it yourself. It's like DIY. You know, you just find people that are good at what they do and you, you, you find all passionate people and you just make it happen. And that's what we did with The Wretched. We tried to get this movie made out in LA with production companies and studios and they all tell us like oh we don't do monster movies because creatures are too expensive to do uh we don't we don't want to make any movies unless it's just somebody trapped in a house and they're scared that somebody is outside of the house trying to get in and we were like no we want to do this movie with like you know there's a witch and there's a creepy tree and there's a creature and these weird effects are happening and i need to make this type of film so we just went and raised the money ourselves and put together the team ourselves and just like went and shot in our home state because, you know, that's that's what we learned from the Evil Dead crew. And then how does that then relate to on set? I'm always intrigued with directoral partnerships and then even more so when it's brothers. What does that relate to then on the day to day kind of filming on, on the shoot? Well, it's pretty, it's kind of a boring answer in that we just, by the time we've stepped on set, we've worked it to death because we've spent 
a couple of years writing the thing. And we, uh, you know, I'm an artist, so I've been, I do storyboards professionally. So we've, we've designed the creature, we've storyboarded every shot in the movie. Like we've done all the creative sort of things, the sort of like the last, uh, the last sort of pass, what you're doing on set is, you know, kind of managing people and just communicating that vision. But we both understand that vision so perfectly to that point that you're just trying to yeah. do the best job to bring it to camera. And it's, it's actually just great because we have two people to talk to everybody. Like if we have mm -hmm. to divide up, one can go to, you know, talk to the, the, the costume department, the other can talk to production design. Like, you know, you get exhausted. It's a marathon directing. So we have two brains when one of us gets tired and gets, you know, you answer 700 questions a day. And <laughs> after the 400th question, I can be like, Brett, you take a couple of these questions. <laughs> um, <and laughs> so it's just a, it's just a great yeah. collaboration. And it's also just, you're constantly doubting yourself on set because you know you've you spent your we've spent so much time thinking about the thing and it's great to just have another champion like that's sort of backing you up because you can't let anybody see you, you doubt yourself when you're on set you're like oh is this the right shot is this the right way should we cut that line yeah. and then i can turn and that's when Brad. i come in and i'm like drew's awesome he knows what he's talking about no, <laughs> yeah no but you, you you fill in each other's holes you know like where something's not working you figure it out so it's I don't know how people direct a movie without a sibling. It's or a such an advantage. I think yeah. that's why we've seen so many brother and sister teams. And, yeah. and I think when it's not brothers or sisters, a lot of times the people that are successful, they have like a best friend they grew up with that they trust intrinsically. To and, produce or something. Yeah, and they yeah. just are that person for them. Yeah, Drew, if I could come back to you, you mentioned there about working on the storyboards for this. And a big part of this as well is practical effects as well, because you're working on a low budget. You're working with practical effects. You guys have mentioned that you kind of grew up with that type of stuff from a young age. The challenge of, I suppose, bringing your idea, what you have on a storyboard, to then bring it through to the film. What is the kind of big challenge? And is there anything there that you feel like kind of, it never quite got to what you wanted it to be? Or is there anything when you suddenly realize and you see it on the big screen that it's so much more, it's much more creepier? Uh, like I'm thinking of stuff for me anyway, personally, yeah. to start with like the, the buck as well, you know, that creeped me, but then, you know, I'm a country boy, that just creeps me. It's, it's a funny thing, like David Fincher, he always says, you only get like 70% of what you aim for and you're lucky if you get that, you know? And that's definitely true, but, um, if, you know, for a lot of scenes, we always wanted more shots where we wanted different angles and things, but you're always limited. And that's sort of the exciting challenge of filmmaking. But um, yeah, ultimately, I think a lot of the scenes, uh, there, there are definitely a couple of scenes that really came out, I think even better. And the ones that I think always surprise me are kind of the department that in a weird way, it's like that magic that you, you as a director, you can't help, but hope, you just hope that it turns out it's performance-based stuff. So when you when you have like the scene like there's the 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 confrontation scene um, on the stairs with the mother and the the kid um, and that scene we had designed it that way and we had planned to shoot it that way but the performances just felt like they were so perfect. better than we thought they just yeah, hit yeah, it hit it in a way that we didn't expect and that's for us I think the things that surprise us more than anything it's not usually the effects or the shots or the whatever because that's the stuff we've sort of dived deep into it's when an actor just brings some little nugget to a performance that just gives it a sparkle yeah. um those are the things that i think really pop for us but um yeah, yeah. did i answer all your questions about the effects <laughs> I got excited. You, did indeed. you know just yeah. bringing it back to what you guys I think it was yourself brett that kind of said about going out and just filming it here in northern ireland we have such a kind of 
indigenous local filmmaking scene. There's local film. I mean, it seems at the minute that Irish filmmakers are slowly taking over the the horror yeah. genre. We're going to be working on Evil Dead. Uh, we've got the the guys we're going to be working on the next Texas Chainsaw. But what's yeah. your advice to filmmakers right now? Listen, just hearing you guys kind of saying, especially now in this kind of new weird COVID world that we're going to be living in for the next potentially year, even not more so, of just going out and filming stuff right now not waiting for kind of as you kind of said waiting for producers to get stuff but just getting your friends the people you know to get out there and filming yeah well i mean i think the best advice you can have right now with the pandemic occurring and us all being stuck at home more because we can't get out the door and actually go shoot anything is what benefit drew and us was pre-planning and rewriting like crazy like we were really brutal on our own script we rewrote it and rewrote it even all the way up until the day of shooting we would change things just to try to make it better but just get it to a point where you've been so brutal on it and you let other people be brutal on it and you fix it, like put that time in. But also like if you're, you want to go make a film like, and you want to do it as soon as like the pandemic makes it so we can hopefully it goes away or we get a vaccine. Um, just have all your prep work done, man. Have your, have your killer script, have your, and already be talking to investors for it while you're locked away because that's something you can do. That's not fun, but you might as well get it out of the way. Just like get all the pieces off the board. They're putting, any roadblocks in the way for you to start shooting. And that's like your script, storyboarding the movie and the money, you know, it's like, like jump on those three and just get those done if you can. You know? For you guys, like when do you kind of foresee yourselves being able to get out and get back filming again? You know, I was listening to Spike Lee and yeah. doing an interview here in the BBC last week. And he's kind of maybe looking at maybe July, maybe next year, kind of before he thinks he'll be able to, be able to get out and film. Like for yourselves, like when do you think, we will start to see the cogs in the machine kind of get. I know we're kind of seeing film sets and studios open up across across the world slowly. Yeah. But when do you guys envision yourself being able to get back on well, set? I think Spike Lee is kind of hitting it. Like that's when things are going to be back to normal-ish for most. If things. we have a vaccine, yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah, if we have a vaccine and if everything, I mean, things are going to get really back to normal in a year, year and a half, probably. Right. That's when things will feel normal. I think there's going to be a lot of crews and a lot of people that try and figure it out and sort it out in the next couple of months. And there's been a lot of talk about like indie film sets, maybe they can go back earlier because crews are smaller, but they don't necessarily have the money or the infrastructure to sort of manage the risk of everybody, the things. Yeah. So it's almost harder for indie film sets, even well, though just, it's a third the people. I just read today, like the new Jurassic Park film is going to go back to shoot. And the cost of going back to shoot with implementing the safety measures is $5 million. So any movies aren't going to be able to afford that issue. So I don't think it's going to be any movies. I mean, it's the unfortunate thing is, unless you're a giant temple movie that they have to make happen, it's going to be when we get a vaccine, which I really hope is, you know, early next year is when we start seeing that. So, I mean, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, I just, but I think that's really the only way for everybody to go back to making but like, films. Like Brett said, this is the time to like really you know, do another draft of that script, get it that much tighter, make a lookbook, yeah. you know, make yeah. a sizzle reel, like get it, get it into like the point where it's like a perfect package. Yeah. You know? Cause shooting is the fun part. The really not fun part is all the prep work. And also the least fun is finding financing. So, Hey, you're stuck inside. Like now it's time to do the homework you haven't wanted to do forever. Let's figure out how you're going to get that money to make that movie, <laughs> you know? We, we are going to have to bring the interview to an end. Uh, I guess since I could quite happily sit and talk to you guys a lot more and just about kind of going back to the 80s and horror and all that kind of thing. I will not indulge myself too much, you know. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you a big thing 
for yourselves and a big success for your film of late. I mean, in fact, we have IF, IFC have kind of carried on. It's been released in America and it's been the drive-in screenings that have really kind of helped the film find its audience at the box office. You know, we yeah. here in the UK, drive-in screenings are a thing, but they're not a part of the cinematic psyche over here. So can for you guys kind of tell us a wee bit what that meant for you to still, whilst in lockdown, whilst we're still in lockdown, still to have your film out there being, you know, available to audiences who want to see it and as close to the normal cinematic model as, as they kind of can. How, how big a thing that's been for you guys? Yeah, well, we feel like we made an audience movie. I mean, we played a ton of festivals. We played Fright Fest and Grimfest in the UK, and we got such an amazing response, and there's an energy when you watch a movie with an audience. So when, you know, this, this all hit, COVID hit, we just didn't think we were going to get that at all. So for us, it's just the greatest silver lining, you know, we could ever have hoped for, because in this process, because we didn't have any marketing dollars, it got a lot of people to see our movie, and word of mouth just sort of took over. Like the audiences have sort of championed our movie. We didn't expect to expand or last a week, <laughs> you know, or two, but we're at six weeks now and it just keeps growing because like the audiences have sort of spread the word. Um, so well, it's, and it's also like the drive-in, we made a fun summer creature feature right when we were hitting the summer and nobody could go outside, you know, and it, it it's just, it's kind of the perfect movie for the drive-in and people, as much as everyone watches so many streaming services at home, Netflix and all this stuff, people still long for that communal experience of going to a theater and watching a movie. And right now the drive-in's the only way to get that. And horror movies are especially that type of movie. Like you want to go so you can hear people, you know, gasp or scream at the right laugh, moments. People yeah. laugh at the jokes. That's horror movies are built to be that way. So it, it just makes sense that, that's where we were able to find our audience because it's that's the type of movie it is. <laughs> Horror communities are so tight. Like I love going to all the festivals because everybody. It's a half yeah. of the the fun of going to festivals is that everybody hangs out and it's more about the friendships and the the hangout than it is even watching the horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of get that when people go to drive-ins. Yeah. You know? You know, I, I guess since you have answered this, but I had written this down as a question, so I will ask it anyway. What is it about the horror genre that works so well for the drive-in cinematic experience? It's just that, like, I, I think the history of the drive-in, like, at least in the U.S., is kind of campy sci-fi, scary horror films, or even things that were, like, too controversial and unrated to play at the drive-in. So there's this exciting aspect that you're kind of going to see something that you're not supposed to see when you go to the drive-in or something that wasn't respected, a respected genre. And like Evil Dead played drive-ins in the States when it first came out because it was unrated and they were having a hard time getting into regular theaters because the theaters didn't want to play it. So being a horror movie at the drive-in is like the perfect mix. That's, it's just literally what the drive-in was built on and, and why they blew up is that they were like an escape for kids to go see things they weren't supposed to go see so that they could make out in the back of their mom's car and buy, you know, crappy treats and <laughs> all this other stuff. So it was kind of like doing a bunch of things you're not supposed to do. It, so it's, it's kind attractive. Of an, I'm kind of tempted to push you there, Brett, and say, is this kind of speaking there from personal experience there in a few of those yeah. things? <laughs> it's kind of an intangible thing, yeah. though, because, you know, when you, if you've ever told a ghost story, at, you know, when you're camping in front of a campfire, like, 
it's got a certain vibe, whether if you tell there, or if you tell it in your living room, it's got a totally different vibe. And the drive-ins, you're under the stars outside at night. Like it feels like where a horror movie might take place, you yeah. know, like it definitely <laughs> has like this quality to it. Um, just like telling scary stories. Yeah. It just works. It's, 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 it's a magical place, honestly. I, I it's great. <laughs> And just my last question, gentlemen, you might, you might feel like you maybe don't want to reveal too much right now, but what kind of are you working on that we will see you guys with delivering next? We got a bunch of things that we love and we're really excited about. We're hoping one of them goes. Um, but the one thing that I think we're probably the most excited about is we have a new take on a werewolf that we just think is really special and unique. That yeah. we want to just get something we're really excited about we it was an idea we had before we even shot the wretched and we just loved it and we were like maybe we can do this and we we're like i don't think our budget covers a werewolf yeah. <laughs> so, so we want to do it right we're yeah. obviously huge practical effects makeup guys and we want to do it mostly practical but uh you know yeah. we're just gonna get our rob Oteen or uh rick, yeah. rick baker yeah. and uh <laughs> Yeah. And run with that studio's money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brilliant. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us during lockdown. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you guys work on next. So that's our interview with Brett and Drew Pierce from The Wretched. And uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's available through various digital download platforms. And it's a good run-of-the-mill fun horror movie. And Darren, who's now a horror movie devotee, will be chomping at the bit after this recording to seek that film out. But before we give him the chance, let's move on and talk about this week's big movie, which, of course, is Silence of the Lambs. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? I'm still in training at the Academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Mm -hmm. That is rather slippery of you, agents, darling. So that's a clip of Silence of the Lambs. And as I said before, we played that little clip that this was our last Banterflix team watch along. Darren, you picked this because you, you won. Well, you kind of drew with Joe on the Big Nerd Quiz. And Joe was very gracious and said, Darren, you have it, son. He was like that granddad at a wake, you know, you come to the last, but you, you have that son. I get a sense we'll come back to talking about wakes during Silence of the Lambs. But uh, you picked this so very quickly. Do you want to tell our listeners why someone who's such a scaredy cat when it comes to horror and regular listeners to the podcast will know you're a scaredy cat, but why did you pick this film? Well, you touched on it before with Joe, um, if you're calling him. My, my sort of granda, you call him Grandpa Joe, but Grandpa Joe... I call Joe a lot of things. Cowboy Joe, Grandpa Joe, a lot of stuff that I can't say, you know, now yeah. for legal reasons. Yeah. So I sort of felt like I owed it to him once I once we drew the Big Nerd podcast, which I, I think is great, by the way. Shout out to, the, to Mark for doing such a great job on that quiz. But we did it and I was like, what would Joe like? He, he's a horror guy. I know we've spoke before that you are trying to lead me sort of down the sort of route of horror movies. And I thought, you know what? Silence of the Lambs is probably a great place to start. Now, before, it was when we were watching it and I, after it ended, I was like, there are sequels to this. And I only realized that after watching Silence of the Lambs on Friday, 
that I had actually seen Red Dragon <laughs> and not put the two of them together. Because I think with Red Dragon, when I, I remember it was one of the nights where you're, you're sitting at home and you stick a film on, um, it's on TV, or you just turn on Channel 4 and it was on. And I remember just being a bit freaked out by it and thinking, this is horrible. And if this is the third one, I'm never ever going to watch Silence of the Lambs. So I'm just going to put it to the back of my mind. But when I watched it, on, I thought, right, I've got the Banterfuchs team behind me to support me on, on the watch-alongs. I can look at Twitter every once in a while and see, you know, a joke or, and laugh it off. And Just, you know, just, look, at Joe's ha- just yeah. look at Joe's happy wee Twitter face on his Twitter yeah. handle. Just be like, ah, bringing it back, bringing them back in the room. But, and I did say on the, on the watch-along, the more I watched, I, I just, I forgot all about Twitter. I was that engrossed in it that I wasn't, I, I was silent for most of it. And, I didn't even do any sort of rude jokes or any, you know, talks of, of, or any stupid stories. I was just engrossed by the film. So I, I'm well, really glad I picked it. Well, now is your opportunity to tell those silly jokes and tell those rude, rude stories and all that kind of stuff, Darren. Now, yeah. now that you're not watching it, I I actually, I've actually sat and figured out this is my third viewing of Silence and Lambs in lockdown because one of the first weeks, my lovely wife and I said, right, let's watch the three Hannibal Lecter films that are on netflix now and i had forgotten how good silence of lambs genuine i'd forgotten how good it was because you kind of remember red dragon and you remember hannibal and of the two i really dislike hannibal more than red dragon well i don't like red dragon because it's something i've said this before so regular listeners will know this is not an analogy this is an this is an analogy i use quite a bit because I think it's Brett Ratner who directed that, and he just clings to the Thomas Harris novel like a wet blanket and tries to do nothing with it. Where you compare that to Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is superb, which is another use of it's another kind of before Anthony Hopkins ever came on board. We had Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. He's much more. I think we said it on Twitter. He's much more of an outright bastard <laughs> than Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of the character is. But man's Manhunter, again, is trying to do something psychological and trying to do something with the text. The same way they tried to do something with Silence of the Lambs. I don't like the book Hannibal and I don't like the film Hannibal. But those two films kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth for Silence of the Lambs. And when I watched it, I kind of went, this is actually superb. And I think it's, I think it won five Academy Awards uh, that year. It was 92. This was out, and I, I genuinely had forgotten how good a film it was, but the fact that I'd watched it three times in lockdown, three if we include just kind of the, the watch-along, I think it was because that was why I was able to tweet so vigorously throughout the film. But what about you, Therese? I mean, before lockdown, when was the last time you'd watched Silence of the Lambs? Literally years ago. It probably would have been the same kind of thing that you had, Darren, like late one night, um, you just stick, you know, you just stuck it on. You know, it was on... I think there was a period where I was always on film four mm-hmm. um, and like I love I do love a scary film I love horror films and um, I think I was a lot better watching them when I was younger than I am now I, I am a big absolute scary cat when it comes to some of them but um, my my mum used to work in the movie house in, at Yorkgate um, many moons ago and that was one of the first films that she had the usher in was Silence of the Lambs and um, like my mum can't even watch The Sixth Sense or like anything like that like she's just heart scared and I remember telling me she, the story. She'd be good with Darren then. Oh no yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll say I'm on my whenever you, you watch the next one you'll have a gig um, 
because all she does is like howl and it's a lot of like ooh, ooh, that type of carry on um but I remember she's telling me the story um and it was she says discarded in her mind about whenever Hannibal is in the cage and he bites part of the officer's cheek mm. and she says she remembers literally running out of the running out on her job basically running out of the screen waving like the flash it about and was it to went their manager and went I, I'm done like I'm not doing this and mm. they were like Anna it's it's just it's your first felt and she was like no that's it did they just go to her and it's just pixels on a screen love no like and it's not real it's okay and for years I was like like my mummy was terrified I cannot watch this film like I just can't watch it um and then I did and was just surprised at, with it being a horror film. It's, as you said, like, it's superb. Like, it, it's actually an amazing film. The story, the acting, like, the mu- the intensity of the music, like, the mu- parts of it, mm. the music used alone would terrify you if you were, just, you know, sitting in a dark room by yourself. Um, and I actually haven't seen um, Hannibal or Red Dragon. No, I don't bother. Um, uh, I'm just going uh, to be honest. I well, Look, each to their own. My honest kind of gut feeling on both films is in Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins was being directed by the time he came back for Red Dragon. Well, he came back for Hannibal and then Red Dragon. He turned kind of the character into too much of a cartoonish character. Like he kind of, he'll say stuff like, I think it's like Toodles. And, other, and I know there's little bits of that little glimpses of that in Silence of the Lambs, but he's genuinely terrifying. Like, if we kind of go kind of blow by blow through the film, sorry viewers, sorry listeners, if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, but you shouldn't be listening if you haven't seen it. But so we see at the start, and I'll say this, and I think I said this on Twitter at the time, did all the, well, Therese maybe not, because I know Therese has been running, I don't know about you, Darren, but see all that running at the start of the film with uh, Jodie Foster's Clary Starling. I was just like, oh, I'm getting tired. I've been in lockdown for three months, love. There's no way I'm going to be getting to do all that running. Or were you watching this Trez kind of going like, yeah, I could I could do that. I could beat that time. Oh, no, I, I was looking at it being like, don't know. Like, I've stopped running from um, the last spoke and I've just decided to just do like exercises in my room. Um, but the thoughts of having to go back to run again, I would be sitting with you guys in the sense that, yeah, no, that that's I'm done. Um, I, I just got tired looking at her. I'm going to be honest. I don't know about you, Darren, but I was kind of sitting there going like, oh, yeah. physical exercises. You know, we have to shield love. Get get back in. You know, don't so, be running about there. And then, of course, then we were introduced to to Jack Crawford, who's just a lovable bastard. Mm-hmm. The, the running scene at the start you know because I haven't seen it before I seen the run and I was thinking why is this girl running in this sort of misty woods you know what is she running from and then the actual horror is that there is a climbing frame she has to climb over the horror <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah that, she does see, like a see at the like minute see at the minute see at the minute a climbing frame would terrify me more than even you know what even if there was like a dark street and it was just like Hannibal Lecter standing on one side and then another street there was a climbing frame it's like fuck it I'll take my chances with Hannibal I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie lockdown lifestyle has had its has taken its toll yeah so you she she runs and then she flips over it and she does this weird thing where she like does like a forward roll on the thing and I was like that's a bit dangerous but 
after she does that, the, the officer comes out and says, oh, we need you in to the office. And then as you know, my, my girlfriend, Eve said, she could have, he could have told her that before she climbed the climbing frame. You know, he was clearly watching her and he was like, I'm going to let her flip over here and I go, right, come on in. Yeah. Uh, and then that, that sort of sense, I was thinking, oh, they must be out to get her or they mustn't like her or something. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. So, yeah. I, I love Jack Crawford in this because he's just a pure sleazeball. I can't remember the name of the, the actor that's playing him, but he is just a kind of sleazeball that I think it's in. I mean, I think it's from memory, it's implied that, I mean, he has a notion of Clarice or maybe he's had a past, you know, a bit of a kind of flirtation with her. But of course, then he sends her on this kind of chase that they're looking for Buffalo Bill and they're doing a profile. They want to go to speak to Hannibal Lecter. And without kind of going into the kind of ins and outs, we're then introduced to Frederick Chilton, who's just a complete, if we think Jack Crawford's a bit of a slime ball, there is the personification in the dictionary. Yep. If you're scrolling past, there we go. There's Frederick Chilton. There's his face, slime ball. But we're introduced to Hannibal. And I had forgotten just how wonderfully shot and atmospherically shot that introduction when we're first greeted by Anthony Hopkins. The way he's just kind of the camera's slowly going along with uh, Jodie Foster's character and then it just comes to out Hannibal and I think the fact we've been desensitized by the fact we've had Red Dragon we've had Hannibal but when you see him back there you see that even just standing there he's a genuinely imposing terrifying character so I'm going to start with you like how did you find that Darren as an introduction to this character that you probably knew about well okay I know you've seen Red, Red Dragon you've seen Red Dragon but a character that you kind of had only seen through that or probably every it's it's Hannibal Lecter is a pop culture figure now. There's no denying it. I mean, the mask, everything, but seeing him introduced in this way in the film, how did you find that? Not walk in when I, when I was watching her walking through the cells, I, I during lockdown, I've been playing the, the Batman games on the Xbox. I got the, the collection been playing those. And there's a great scene at the start of those games where the Batman's been Batman's been led in the Arkham Asylum by the Joker, and there's a sense of that claustrophobia. Every sort of stage of the prison he goes through, it gets smaller. And and Clarice at that point was sort of going through, and you know all the men were sort of ushering her through, and then the the, the red bars lock her in, and you sort of feel it right. She is trapped in here with these people, but she could have walked down there, and in that sort of scene with Anthony Hopkins. You know, he's standing ready, waiting for her to come. It's not, mm-hmm. and from that sort of get go, you know that he's in control of every situation and every mm-hmm. conversation that they are going to have. He he's prepared for this, or he he knows something that we don't know, and he that sort of shot. You know, as he he's wide, and as she starts to sort of talk to him, and that sort of zooms in right up that sort of point of view shot from from her perspective. It it is great, and it really demonstrates his intellect as well. You know, as he's he's primed and ready he's not he hasn't got his back to her and then she comes up and you know if, it, if that scene was done in red dragon he would be like fully you know back turned and she come up to the the perspex mm-hmm. and then he'd spin around and try and bite her finger off or something like that but <laughs> yeah. but it was actually great and from then you were you were hurt you know between the, the, the sort of relationship i think the thing that really makes it work more than anything is the fact that we go through three four inmates we walk past three four inmates who would terrify you would terrify you because they're loud they're screaming on the way out they're throwing things that i don't think any man or woman really wants to have thrown on them at all but 
they're what when you think of an asylum, they're what you think. And I have always, I think I made this joke on on Twitter, bringing it back to Father Ted. When you see that sequence and you see them walking past, I'm I've always reminded of the sequence in Father Ted where they go to the old people's home to get Jack back, and it's like they're putting the flashlight on the old guys, and it's like feck arse feck arse, and then it comes this last guy who's like posh English, and he's like, I really shouldn't be here, and that's what he he's not behaving in the way that I suppose we think someone who in asylum should be, but yet he's still instantly terrifying. I don't know what you thought. What do you think, Therese? No, I am. Um, you put it in this, you probably put it in the best way that from um, like an onlooker's perspective, that behavior of running, you know, shouting profanity, stuff like that. Um, would be your automatic stereotype of, of someone who would be in an asylum. But, you know, that presence of Hannibal when he's standing there, like he's, you know, he's definitely scarier than the rest of them, you mm. know. Um, and it's even, it's just the, the fact that he, had his, he has his hands clasped, you know, mm. like he's ready to introduce himself. And just like the the composure of how soft he is with everything, and it's like it's just weird and uncomfortable, you know. Uh, you can see that interaction that Clarice the whole time is trying to be professional. Um, they've she's not fully trained as an FBI agent yet, so she doesn't have a full um ID badge, and she's going with the intention that she is going to um take control of the situation and that it's going to be easy enough for her to just hand over this questionnaire and he'll go yep no problem Mm -hmm. um yes you know yes sir thank you sir but immediately hits the ground running with psychoanalyzing her and Mm -hmm. you know the 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 little things he notices about her shoes being that we must isn't that much fa- paper. Isn't it her face cream as well or something? Or is that her later on? Oh no, sorry. Face. The face cream I think is from Red Dragon. I think it's because he notices uh he noticed that Ed Norton. No, sorry, Ed Norton is wearing the it's aftershave in Red Dragon. No, it is face yeah. cream. I think he is talking about in Silence of Lambs. He's definitely a thinker, you know. And when I was thinking about this rewatching it, the closest I think anyone has come to that type of a reveal, and I know this will be lost in Darren because of the old horror kind of thing, but the the new Halloween movie that was out a few years ago when they tried to reintroduce Michael Myers back and they tried to do something very similar where they have him in an outdoor kind of, an outdoor setting and there's a big square painted out and it's like he's been held in chains and like, do not cross this line whatsoever. And that kind of worked, but this, but the fact that we have all manner of lunacy going on beside him and as the camera pans we just see this you know terrifying figure and as we can say of course he's psychoanalyzing Clarice I don't ever find that she's it's one of the things I love about that character people assume that she's quite meek and she's quite kind of like this kind of little delicate flower when she's not there's a lot of underlying themes in this film about kind of she's constantly being underestimated by everybody typically mm-hmm. by men we like we see jack crawford the only one who doesn't is is lector when you sit down mm-hmm. lectors almost instantly it seems sees that there's an inner strength that we don't we don't see that we don't see it instantaneously and yeah you know it's, it's a great sequence and then we see of course that that kind of 
interrogation, who's actually interrogating who or who's interviewing yeah. who during this process. Then we kind of get, we rush through the plot. We then have the sequence in this film that horrifies me more than anything. It's when they then go to the wake and they go to examine the body of the the woman that they find in the river where they find the, the death head moth mm-hmm. in her throat. And that body, if ever cinema had smell-o-vision, I never want to be in a screen of Silence of the Lambs because just the fact you can see they have to use the stuff to cover the smell on underneath yeah. the nose. But even then, with all that stuff on, they're still smell that like I don't know guys if you've ever encountered something that's been dead for a while I know a couple of years ago my mum I, I was home and I couldn't understand what the smell was in our porch I really couldn't and it was the hot summer and there had been a rat that our cats had killed and hidden underneath their bed clearly you know sorry listeners sorry viewers they clearly were going to look for later on but the heat had caused it to kind of go a bit fragrant and that smell stays with you. It really does. And if ever a sequence just sums up, you know, perfectly what you think a dead body will smell like, it's just horrified. That body just looks it's bloated. It's horrible. Ugh, I hate that. That sequence gives me the ABGBs even more of some of the stuff with Buffalo Bill. I don't know about you guys, you know, darn, you know, that sequence. I know Joe was very fixated on the lack of crack that the wake would have been because we see that kind of sequence as parallels with parallel editing we see Clarice remembering her father's wake uh, at the same time as she's going to investigate the body and that trauma from the past is a big driving force for Clarice in this but that sequence with the body just uh, it probably gave me the EBGBs just thinking about it again yeah definitely and there's a great use of tension in that scene and you know even in the scene before that they do like subtle sort of horror I'm imagining sort of bits that make you feel uneasy like the bit where she is the scene where she's going into the old um like warehouse lot type thing and the door mm-hmm. she makes the point that the door might close behind her mm-hmm. but it's not really touched on again it sort of makes you feel a bit uncomfortable but even with that when you see that guy putting that stuff on his nose you know that there's something is bad there's something they're not used to even the the morticians are looking at each other going right be, be prepared for this this is not your your average death in this sort of small town and and then Clarice doesn't turn around for it she's almost too scared at one point to sort of turn her back to that and I think with that scene as well that what I'm sort of referring to that sort of gross harvest is the tweezer bit caught me the yeah. most where they, they reach in and you can hear the tweezer clicking what? against the teeth and then they're pulling the, the, the bug out I think isn't it Clarice notices it Clarice is yeah. the one yeah. I think there's something in her throat yeah and as you say you just bleh. Bleh. yeah no. So pulling that out was was horrible, and uh, I think really the only you know in that scene you get a good sense all the sort of younger police officers are just staring at her as she's mm-hmm. in the room. But the only guy in the film who sort of doesn't bat an eyelid to her is the guy who's more interested in the thing that gets pulled out of the throat. Of the he's played by Bulldog from Frasier. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't care about it. He just cares about the bug. <laughs> He's, he's the real hero of the film. As much as the you know the smell would fixate my kind of attention if I was in that sequence, I probably would be like, hang on a minute. How can we make this? How can this sequence be any more grosser? All right, there's a bug in her throat, right? Okay, I probably would be a little bit fixated on that. And even the, the moth itself is, ugh, it's horrible. Do you find that an easy watch, that sequence, Therese? Um, It reminded me of, um, do you know the... Body in seven, um, oh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Though, like it, that the body in seven bothered me a lot more than. Um, Can I just double check? Is this the body with all the air fresheners around yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Darren, have you, if you haven't watched that, you should I have. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have seen it. So. Um, that body bothers me more, but um, I think it it wasn't. Darren, the way you were saying about like the subtle noises, there was a bit as well. I think that they they must have moved her arm or moved the body part, and you could just hear it like scraping. Mm-hmm. You know, with like it being so heavy and you know decaying for that much longer. And um, you know, a, a lot of other films, I would say, probably would have wouldn't have shown the full body. Like you know, they might have shown say a foot or um you know an arm or a you know a, a can of hat like i would say even films horror films now I probably wouldn't have displayed that out but once Carice turns around you're almost revealing it's being revealed to her as well as you at the same time and it's just that body in yeah. full view and well, it's a kind of thing, it's a trick that Spielberg does. Spielberg, as a director, he primes us as viewers on how we should be reacting to stuff. We think of that sequence in Jurassic Park when we first see the the dinosaurs. You know, it's we don't actually, because we don't see the, the dinosaurs first. We see, I think it's um, Sam Neill's, I think it's Sam Neill's reaction we see. He's in the car and then they see the dinosaur and then he kind of turns and his jaw drops. So we're primed to how we should react. So this yeah. is kind of what's going on here. It's a really good trick with horror. You don't show what's actually on screen. You show other people reacting to it. So therefore, through the power of imagination, it's going to be much more horrible and nasty than what we can ever conjure. Conjure up if we are just literally shown it, other than that sequence tres in seven. Mm-hmm. No. Um, the thing I love, I think this is a sequence where I think they roll kind of on what you guys were talking about, where they turn her over and show her back. And I think that's yeah. kind of the sequence where I go, no, no, that's that's moist for all the I wrong I think reasons. it's when it's like like a squidgy, squelchy river monster sound or something. It's just, yeah. it's rotten. I think um, that that adds like an, an element of reality to it. You know, because that is probably what would happen if you if there was if you were doing an autopsy on a massive bloated body that had been lying out in a river for three days and was completely disfigured. Um, but I think that like that there's more you know there's more bits down the line with Buffalo Bill. I think that really turned me a lot more, mm. like different close up shots. Mm. Um, I'm actually trying to think. I think. I've maybe jumped ahead because there's the, the there's the two moth heads that are found. There's when she goes to the storage unit. Mm-hmm. It also shows you a little bit of how kind of trusting Clarice is. She's there, I think. Is it another police or is it, no? It's the guy who's the owner, I think, of the yeah, and his driver. Yeah, and they're like, you know, she's like, yeah, if uh, this breaks, because I think she's got it jacked up. She's like, if this breaks and I can't get out, just just phone this FBI office, would you? Because mm-hmm. I'll be locked in here, and it's kind of creepy because I think that's kind of where we start to see kind of. This weird thing where it's it's Lecter will help, but it's always on his terms. Mm-hmm. Everything's always on his terms, and he's always purposely one step ahead of not just Clarice but everybody. But there seems like a genuine, 
attempt on his behalf. As twisted as he is, he is willing to help Clarice. But again, it, everything is ultimately moving. He's kind of moving the cogs all in his favour to kind of get to where he wants to be, which is ultimately revealed later on. But we're introduced to Buffalo Bill. Uh, I can't remember, is it Ka- Catherine Martin? I think that's the name of the, yeah, the senator's daughter. Moral of the story, listeners, don't help anybody. Don't help any, like, I don't know. My I don't know how well my parents raised me, but say if I seen a mildly creepy looking guy you know, with a big van, with a sofa, oh, really struggling. I think he's, is it pretend, has he got one arm or something? He's got no, one arm. he's got um, one arm bandaged. And yes. it's the dirtiest, smelliest bandage I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be another reason to go, I'm not going anywhere near you. Because yeah. I would just be like, uh, no, mate, I've actually got my McDonald's. It's been locked down for four months. I'm going to go and eat this now, or my KFC. I've been waiting yeah. two hours for this. So, uh, shit one, you shouldn't have, you know, you should have brought a mate with you. You should have brought a mate with you. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's just down to kind of someone being nice. and He's doing a to, Ted. Yeah, trying, trying to be nice and do a good Samaritan thing. And no, I, I don't, I, I think I would be safe from Buffalo Bill. If that's how he, well, he's not going to, well, I am chubby. So, but you know, I'm not a, a woman, but um, I don't think Buffalo Bill would get me. You know, but then that's when he gets yeah. you when you think you're safest. But I don't know. I, I've always had kind of a slight issue with that of kind of just how naive people can be, and how you find yourself getting caught. Like, okay, Ted Bundy's a good-looking guy when you see him. You know, this is that that tenuous thing will go down for Therese. You know, Ted Bundy's a good-looking guy. Buffalo Bill in this film, ugly bastard. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. Would you do you think either of you would find yourself in that situation where you would been caught by Buffalo Bill? Truthfully, for me, no, because I, you know, I, I don't really do well in social instances anyway, and I do remember, I don't know when we we used to do the the tech course together, Gemma. It was one day I got involved in this. Is another, this is, I don't know where I, I go with these stories, but there was a time. <laughs> there's a photo on my Facebook. A time I ended up, I got suckered into helping the Lord Mayor of Belfast carrying a, a cow across City Hall. It was a cow, like a big, you know, and them cows that they paint. <laughs> and I just remember standing, carrying like the, the rear end of this cow with the Lord Mayor, I think it was Niall, Don- Niall Donnelly or something. And I was just like, how did I get myself into these situations? I was just standing taking a photo a minute ago. Mm. And I was like, so that was like the only, th- and I, I think from then I wouldn't help anyone because who knows where it would go with me, but. But yeah, if you're doing that, always let him get in the van first, don't you? Yeah. Just like, yeah, get on, go on in, go right in. Yeah, but I think we've now clearly realised that of the three of us. Well, I, don't, I, I think, Trez, you're, you're streetwise. I couldn't see Trez oh. Ray get... I no can, you, way would I, I help a stranger. God forgive me for saying that. I couldn't see Trez Ray kind of getting herself stuck into that situation. But Darren Vincent, after listening to that story and vaguely remembering that story at the time of the tech course, I have a son. I have a sneaking suspicion. Darren Buffalo Bill will get you. Yeah, he would. But he needs to remember that I don't lose weight quickly, so I'd I'd be in, I'd be trapped for him for quite a while before he got some use out of me. He'd have to play lambs with you for quite some while. He'd have to feed you. Yeah, and, he uh, would. Yeah, he'd have to feed you and then skin you out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I put it on quicker, so yeah, yeah, no problem with that. But it's getting it off is the problem. Yeah, there actually, go. I'm just gonna re- retract what I said. I would help strangers. I just can I can suss out the the right strangers to help. Do you know what I mean? If you see like a you know a really Tre- helpless Trez, old woman in the street. Trez, yes. I have a, 
Trez, I'm a wee bit worried that these words might come back to haunt you. Um, <laughs> I, can, I, 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 I can always pick out the right person to help and just be like, oh no, she got into the van with Buffalo Pill too. This time it's personal. No, um, I think I listen, to, I listen and read far too much tree crime to mm. be just suspicious of everybody. Mm. Um, and again, if you're hoofing a sofa into a random van at like 12 at night, no, like you just, you, that's your problem. My problem is getting in, into the house. I love the use of the word hoofing. I haven't heard that in a long, long time. That's what he's trying to do, but... It's a good technical term. You know, let's not let's not beat around the bush here. It's a good technical term. Our listeners clearly understand what you mean completely by hoofing it into the van. As I say, I'm I don't know. So we have Catherine, she's kidnapped, and then of course we see Lecter being given the false deal. And I think he knows it's a false deal. He's pretty yeah. pretty aware. He's not that thick. But I think is it what is it, Anthrax Island or is it kind of animal te- an animal testing facility? I think I said yeah. I think I said on Twitter, you know, with right now with lockdown, I'd take that day. I'd go, I'd go there. It has a nice beach. Yeah, I'd go to be. I, I, I would kill. I know a couple of our neighbours have recently went down to Port Stewart for a nice swim, but uh, I haven't been to a beach in a long time. So I think if someone said to me, right, Jim, you have to help us find Buffalo Bill, you can go to Animal Testing Island. Well, all right, yeah, okay, yeah, go for it. I'd, I'd take that, you know. And then, of course, we start to see the cogs, kind of everything kind of click into gear. We then have Lecter. He's, they kind of force his hand. They have to make it after making a face, fake deal. They have to make a proper deal. They get him to kind of help to find Buffalo Bill all whilst he's playing. I'm sorry, South Park has ruined it for me, playing lambs with Catherine. You know, I'm sorry, South Park has, has ruined Silence of Lambs for me. They play, I want to go play lambs. I can't do a good, car, good Cartman. So they have the fact that the deal has now forced their hand. It has been made. We see the lector transferred. We all know as viewers where that pen has went. We all know. It's just a look. We all have that friend, right? I don't know about you. I'm someone who always has pens stolen from him because people are bastards. And I always, I buy nice pens for myself. My lovely wife steals pens from me, my mother, everybody else. And I am sure there's been one point where I've been like, oh, where is that kind of lovely new Parker pen I bought? And like on scene behind me, my lovely wife has given the look that Anthony Hopkins gives of that kind of, it's a bit like, you know, when you finally kind of, if after a while, sorry if there's any vegans listening, sorry if there's any vegan wa- vegans watching, when you finally get, kind of get back to KFC and you get their gravy and it's that kind of look of just pure delight um, is on his face. And we all know as viewers, we know where that pen's went. We know. Uh-huh. Yeah, we know. So then, of course, we see that Lecter's in prison. What do we think of the 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 breakout? It's weird because for me, and I'm going to be intrigued with Darren thought of this. When I watched this when I was younger, I find this probably as horrible as your mum did, Therese, back in the day at the movie house. Yeah. This horrified me, but when I watch it now, without going into too much spoiler, it all feels quite like. It's how can you not realize that's that person lying on the ground with a bit of jelly over his face? Like, having not seen it, Darren, that's why, because I didn't want to talk about it when you were when we were doing the watch along. Mm-hmm. Without going too spoilerific, did you see that coming or were you kind of caught up in the moment? I did. I, when I, I sort of seen it and I was, I, I realized it wasn't, it, it was his way out of the body. I think that he could have done a better job in disguising that sort of twist. Now, 
what we touched upon earlier where you know Clarice made the offer to him and said you know we're going to send you to this island and you're going to be monitored you can go for a morning walk on the beach every day obviously there will be a SWAT team there it's a bit like lockdown bit like lockdown right now yeah. yeah But then we get we see the SWAT team and they prance about with little yeah. pistols like Pan's people, and they're not intimidating in the slightest. No. So like, he, like he's easily gonna get out of there. It's what mm-hmm. sort of like establishment that they're running, and even like the two cops going in and, and chaining them. You know, they, you know they're setting targets. You know they were they were they were food and. The thing about that, he didn't even touch his dinner either. He yeah, dinner. you know, I was kind of like going like, what a greedy, at no point did none of those two security guards go, here, this greedy bastard wants a second dinner. <laughs> it's like, is it lamb chops and they're not yeah. They're yeah. extra rare and you're just like, just, just all you need to do is bring it in the pack. Just mm-hmm. throw it to him from the pack. Just get it out of the fridge. There you go, son, have it. But if I was there, I know if, it was, if this was Belfast, it would be, there's your dinner, you greedy bastard. Your second mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah. But, um, but I, 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 watching it, like, I don't know how even first time round I got, I didn't see it coming the first time I watched Granted, I was maybe 15 or 16. I'd like to think I'm wiser now. But I can't fathom how I got caught up in that thinking, like, it's so obvious of what's going on here. Who's the person that's actually on top of the elevator? And who's the person with a wee bit of jelly in their face? Like, that's why I'm asking, Darren, did you... Yeah. On Friday, did you kind of get caught up in that at all? I didn't. When that happened, I didn't know what was going on with the elevator. Like that, that was a bit of a you know red herring. I, I did not know what why it was going up and down. Was he making another escape? Was he was he doing something like that? But I had a, a suspicion that he was he was doing the reverse. But I didn't know. I thought maybe he had bloodied his own face or mm. beat himself into a pulp. And but even thinking about that just there now, the the bit where he is, he takes the sort of police bat on, and he's like. He's hitting the police guy with it, mm-hmm. and the camera's on this, looking at him like that. And he's on—it looks like he's painting a picture. He's not taking any pleasure in it. He's sort of hitting him and sort of stroking and perfecting it. It's not like he's bludgeoning this guy to death for nothing. And you sort of get a sense for Lecter then he is—he's an artist. He is his own—you know—he's a professional. And, and again, his intellect comes through, and he's probably played that scene out a million times in his head how am I going to get out if I'm ever in if I'm ever moved and he's you know watching it and thinking you know he did mention that he wanted to be moved did he know he was going to have this situation has he been playing Clarice the whole time from the start and it as you said the the cogs start to come into play all at once but yeah it was great I think I said this on Twitter on Friday when we watched this like as much as he can kind of bite people's noses off he guts the guy and you see the intestines and it's like a butterfly and it looks horrific mm-hmm. again I'd remembered that much horribly much more horribly in my mind from when I watched this when I was younger it does look a little fake but that's just me what haven't watched it so many times the thing that I find the most horrific in all of that whole sequence where he's in I think is it is in Tennessee I think is it he is or is it Memphis where he's kind of held up in this cage and he has the drawing that he did of Clarice. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, so you, you first see it, you go, oh, that's okay. That's a nice wee drawing. And then I think she's naked or she's got a ditty out. And then on the other hand, she's got a wee lamb because, of course, the lambs are important. I, I, I didn't really feel that sad for Clarice when she was telling the story about the lambs when she was younger, about the fact that the lambs were screaming. Like, what the fuck did she think was going on in there? What did you think was going on when she moved in? And okay, you know she's young. And how feeble is it? I think, is it a couple of miles she managed to take that lamb because it was a wee bit heavy? That poor wee lamb. 
you know, at least at that wake that they had a, a month for her father, at least I'm sure they had plenty of lamb. That they didn't have good buns. We all decided that on Friday night. Wasn't much crack for a wake in terms of buns. Therese wanted egg sandwiches, not having that at a wake. No, thank you. But I bet there was plenty of lamb. But I don't know. That, that little drawing that they do was a little bit too much for me that Lecter did. I think that they hinted, though, and I mean, it, it's been written on fan fiction that that the two of them had a really, you know, eventually have a relationship. Oh, you know, even can I ask, Tres, have you read the Hannibal book? I haven't read the book, no. Do you know what happened? I mean, I know we can kind of spoiler, spoiler things from the book because it's not in the movie, but in the book, and everyone hated it in the book, Thomas Harris, when he wrote it. Um, I think he felt pressurized to do it, but in the end, you know, they do go off together, and I think it's implied they become serial killers together in the end of the book. And I, I remember reading it at the time and hating it, and it wasn't a surprise then that Jodie Foster wouldn't come back for the role when she saw yeah. what they had done to the Clary Starling character. But there's a sequence where I think they, I don't know, have you have you seen the Hannibal movie? With, I think you said earlier on you hadn't seen either of them. No, I've just seen Silence of the Lambs, okay. haven't seen Hannibal or Red Dragon. There's a sequence near the end, Ray Liotta. Mm, there's a couple of things on, on, on the menu that really shouldn't be. Ray Liotta really probably wouldn't want to be serving up. And in the book, Clarice joins in, in the end, in this kind of mm-hmm. meal. But in the, film she, in, the, in the film, she rejects it. But it's still hinted in both times that there's a sexual attraction, which... I never, I never liked, and I know it's clearly an underlying theme. There's a, an obsession on Lecter's behalf with Clarice, and maybe it's implied through the books that he sees something that other people don't. He sees maybe a bit of himself in this kind of, this innocent young woman, but I don't know. As I said, I just, because like, how much of a, she's building this lamb story as a real sob story, and I was like, right, you carried a lamb for like about three, four miles. It's a bit heavy, and you dropped it. All right. Come on, love. Yeah. Build a, build a bridge. Maybe I'm just being harsh and getting old and grumpy in my old age. No, I, I like the, the relationship between them. Like the sort of, it was almost like a love story in a sense. Like there was a bit where, you know, she comes in dripping wet and he passes a towel out to her and then you're mm. like, oh, and then the guy, he was very rude. I'll say the, the guy in the cell next to Lecter, he was very, very rude to Was that Meg's? 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 Yeah. yeah, he has yeah. some input, which Joe said, listen, it was not very good to the conversation, but, you know, and then there, she gets, takes a phone call and they go, oh, Lecter, Lecter talked to him last night and he, he's, he's killed himself or something He swallowed like his own, swallowed his own, his own tongue. tongue. Yeah. yeah. And you go, oh, Lecter did that for Clarice. Oh, that's lovely. You know, he's, and you sort of get that vibe, but, you know, I'm not surprised it went down that da- way. Darren, Darren, can I ask, did you turn around at that point to your other half and say, I'd do that for you. Well, no, I turned around and said, look, I, you know, I made the dinner tonight. I didn't even get a thanks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, all, all good. But I was just like, that's a bit, a bit morbid. And I was like, what is going to be in that? It was actually a towel. And I was like, oh. But still, like, from the history of what that prisoner in the next cell was doing, I wouldn't use a towel that a prisoner had been using, <laughs> no matter what. But, yeah. No, definitely not. I think it's been dry cleaned. 
but yeah, that's um, yeah, that, that relationship. But I did see, I, I, I watched a, an interview this morning with Jonathan Demi, and he actually he wanted it was a it was um, Jodie Foster came to him and she wanted the role and he mm. didn't want her to be part of it. He couldn't picture. Uh, I think I remember yeah. he couldn't picture his Clarice. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Did she know the the extent of the books? Was she in it for the long haul? Well, Silence of Lambs was only, I think Red Dragon had been written and mm. Silence of Lambs had been written. I don't think we had Hannibal and I don't think we had Hannibal Rising. Both, both of those were basically written. I think Thomas Harris had admitted he was pressurised into writing Hannibal after the mm. success of Silence of Lambs. Uh, I would say to anybody, you know, I've known I've said it already, go back and look. Don't look at Brett Ratner's Red Dragon because it's something that clings to the source material like a wet blanket. Go back and watch Michael Mann's Manhunter because it is a superb film. It's kind of quite similar to Silence the Lambs, although it's much more Michael Manny, if that makes sense, in the in its style and presentation. But again, Brian Cox is there as Lecter, and he's much more of an outright bastard. He's clearly a lot angrier than this portrayal of Lecter, this much more cool reserve character that we see. And it's interesting because I don't know, I don't think Brian Crox was ever offered the chance to reprise the role. I think it was Anthony Hopkins was always kind of earmarked. I, I, I don't know. I think it would have been a very different film with Brian Cox because of his kind of performance. I think it would have been a more angrier, talky role while Anthony Hopkins says a lot more by saying very little. Mm-hmm. In in my mind, anyway, we we're talking about this quite a bit. I suppose we should kind of kind of try to move on and bring things to close. So we see Lecter's escape. We start to see that the FBI are closing in on Buffalo Bill. Clarice kind of using kind of her intuition. Kind of, I can't remember what what way is it that draws her to the girl's house. She's the the. She speaks to her friend. Yes. Um. So she goes. Uh. She goes to speak to um. I think her name was Brooke, the girl who was, um, I think it was the first person that um, Buffalo Bill killed. Um, she goes to speak to her dad and um, just basically asks to look around her room. And she goes up to the room and just, you know, to the typical girl's room. And then she finds these like weird Polaroids. We all keep those. Which really, when you think about it now, there's no relevance to them at all. But she basically puts two and two together when she sees a mannequin and a tape measure mm-hmm. and notices that the girl was in the dressmaking and she had made the same sort of pattern with yeah. the diamonds cut out. Um, that's right. And that's, that's when she realizes, you know, what, what the purpose of, of Bill, what he's doing. How do you think, you know, for a film that was made, 90, it was released in 91, it's Academy success came in 92. Do you think if this was released now, the character of Buffalo Bill would be portrayed differently or the trans aspect of the character? Or do you think it actually holds the test of time quite well? I definitely think it, it holds the test of time. Mm. The It's just the, the character itself is just so interesting. I know, like I was tweeting through it and John Gum, isn't it John or Jim Gum is his real name. Um, is played by Ted Devine, who I know from Monk, and it was just <laughs> weird seeing him from Monk. And you know, when I very worst watched Hannah Silence the Lambs the first time, put the two together, kind of being like, God, I can't watch another episode of Monk again, and I'll <laughs> just picture him running with a, a scalp on his head. Um, but some, so, I think some of the most like actual scarier scenes, scarier in the sense of like the psychological and mental aspect are with Bill and you know the put the lotion in the basket like 
that famous scene, you know, that I think, kind of I think the thing is, so many of those moments, I kind of alluded to that earlier on, like with South Park, with Kevin Smith and Jen Silent Bob, all those kind of stuff with Buffalo Bill, they've kind of entered into pop culture in a weird way that I think watching it now, just kind of for you, Darren, watching it for the first time, how did you find that? Was that a case, like, I don't know if you're a massive Kevin Smith fan or not, but when we see, I think it's Jen Silent Bob uh, Strike Back, and I know they do it in Jen Silent Bob Reboot as well. That Mm -hmm. man has no dick. He does. He just has it tucked. Sorry, I'll not go into a a word-for-word, blow-by-blow report of Jen Silent Bob Reboot. But having been, I don't know if you're aware of those sequences already, and even yeah. from stuff like South Park, without seeing it, what was it like then seeing them in this film? Yeah, I know what you mean. It was that sort of famous or infamous, you know, Buffalo Bill scene. With, it was actually the music reminded me because, yeah. you know, I, I think it was Jan Sam Bob Strike Back. Mm-hmm. I, I remember watching that movie. Would you so fuck many, me? Ah, yeah. fuck me. <laughs> and, and that was, I was like, that's going to, that's where that's from there. And then I think they do refer to a lot of those movies. I know Kevin Smith always sort of puts you know, sort of, a, you know, Academy Award winning mm. films as, as a joke. I think he makes a joke about the pianist and the, and the crying game and stuff in his films. But he, yeah, it was weird seeing that from a, a pop culture. I think it was ITV um, used to do like an, a, an ad break years ago in the 90s where like people would eat pizza and do jokes. And I remember someone had, was it like a Dorito or something? And they would do like, the Hannibal Lecter noise and it's just remembering all those as watching that being like I never understood that it's too young or yeah. the movie, but. I could be wrong in this so it's probably a Jim McLean either not even not even a half fact but uh, just a completely incorrect fact I'm nearly sure remember the old days of the orange adverts I have a funny feeling there was one of those maybe they brought back Anthony Hopkins or something for a kind of skit based around Sansa Lambs but it's weird when you watch stuff that has become part of pop culture so that's why I'm, I know I'm kind of asking you, I know I'm repeating myself, Dan. I mean, how did you find that then watching stuff that you probably have already seen parodied or have been referenced to death and stuff from it? Like South Park, I always think of, you know, let's go play, play lambs. Cartman's playing, Cartman is playing lambs in the basement, all that kind of stuff. And then realizing that that's where it comes, comes from. And it's actually quite terrifying. And it's kind of creepy, creeptastic. Yeah. That's it. And even thinking, you know, I think it's Hannibal with the, as you said, the Ray Liotta scene, but it, I think it is parodied in Scary Movie mm-hmm. too. And even like those types of spoof films and you sort of think, you know, these are sort of pop culture moments, you know, and if you said the anyone science and the lambs, they'll all say, you know, Hannibal Lecter. But then actually see, since we have started, what see, since we watched that on Friday night, we've, we started watching Sopranos mm-hmm. and it's, you know, Hannibal the Cannibal's referenced at the start of Sopranos. He says, you think I'm Hannibal the Lecter? Um, we were watching 8 out of 10 cast does Countdown this morning <laughs> and they have a skit with that in it. And I was like, you know, I, I know all this, but I've never actually seen the source material. But it- I can't remember the film, but I think there's an animated film. It might be cat, Cats or Dogs or something, but they make a reference to Hannibal with the mask. Mm-hmm in a kid's film that's the one and they make a reference and you're like kids not going to get that i know it's there's a few jokes for the dads and mums in there but it is weird when stuff like that enters into the public into the public psyche and into pop culture but uh bringing it kind of to a close the finale we see the fbi are heading to one house clarice is heading to the other we all know who's going to the right house and who's going to the wrong house 
you were saying this, Tres, you don't like the night vision sequence in that, or have I, did I, I pick think, it? No, I, I just think it's quite daft. Like, I know it, it's first reference that that is what he used um, when he would have, like, stalked his victims mm-hmm. before he captured them. Um, but I don't know, the I didn't really get the significance of that scene, you know, was he why like he could have easily just grabbed her like you're you have night mm-hmm. vision goggles you are the one that is in control with this situation mm-hmm. she can't see shit you can see literally everything and he's just grabbing it there yeah i think it does imply that the room is completely pitch black it's the only way you yeah. can believe that to work and you know having been in a few basements it's dark but it's not completely dark and mm-hmm. Night vision glasses themselves. I'm thinking of. I'm. I'm based this purely on Jurassic Park. They they kind of light they themselves. Have something. Yeah. yeah. There's a light themselves. So I don't know if it works, but I think at the time when I watched it, when I was first time, it did creep me. Like the sequences where he's kind of reaching out and touching her hair. You know, it, it. There's a creepiness. There's a creepiness to it. But I agree with you, Trez. When you sit down and logically think about it, you go, that wouldn't work. You would just if soon if you if I knew I was in a room with Buffalo Bill and I felt someone turn around, I felt something brushing my hair. I'm sorry, I would just turn around and unload the gun. I wouldn't wait until yeah. I think I can't. There's is there kind of there's something that gives him away, and she just kind of turns around and like, well, as does exactly what I said. I would they unloads into into Peril Bill. But Darren, for you watching that first time, how would you find that finale? Yeah, I had I had a problem with it. Um, I, I you know the whole sort of. I think maybe mentioned before about that SWAT team being and the other side of the police being a bit foolish and stupid letting, you know, Clarice goes in on her own. That was my, my main problem with that. And then it, it came into the night vision goggles and it became a case of, yeah, just, just shoot him, shoot quick, quick, you know, um, a gun, give him yeah. away. Well, I think in her defense, like she's not going there thinking she's going to find Buffalo Bill. Yeah. And it's only, she, she only kind of quickly realizes as she's there you know, we as audiences are already ahead of her in that. We know who Buffalo Bill is. We know, you know, the way that it's... it's actually, I have to say, that sequence is edited together so well. The fact we have the FBI storm in the building, we have Buffalo Bills hearing a noise at the door, and then it just opens, and it's Clarice. So it's, it's done really well. Like, I think I said at the time, I think the DOP for this... Um, I can't remember his name, but I know he worked on a lot of stuff. I mean, he worked on Star Wars. And I actually like, you know, I know we're kind of meant to be coming to an end, I know you mentioned the kind of peep show-esque kind of forced perspectives when you're seeing reaction shots of Jodie Foster, you're seeing reaction shots of her colleague at the FBI, you see it with Lecter as well. I actually love that. And it's not, I don't think it's anything that they do or replicate in Red Dragon or Hannibal. It's Ridley Scott and Hannibal and Brett Ratner. They're all trying to do their own thing. But I love those little, particularly the sequence at the FBI building where it's Jodie Foster with her colleague at the FBI. I apologize, I've forgotten the, the character's name. And they're kind of like, it almost looks like someone's trying to make this look random, where they kind of, it's the money shot, the money shot and the revelation is like, well, okay, we figured stuff out here. I love that, but you had peep show-esque problems with that, Darren. Yeah, well, I was looking back when I sort of revisited, I did a quick sort of scan through again, just to sort of get the order of the film right before we did the recap today. And I noticed that the, the sort of forced perspective at the start, like whenever I was watching it again, Lecter, you know, isn't, you know, he's, he's like how we are now, this close in the shot. But by the end of the film, his face is taken up, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much the full. And I read up that it was him, the director trying to, 
put him in the in our head, you know, mm-hmm. and doing that. And every time you see Clarice, she's very she's never looking directly at it. She's always looking off or mm-hmm. or giggling. The only time she's ever actually looking with confidence is when the guy with the cross eyes is trying to sort of chat her up because she feels I think she feels maybe confident in talking to him as as opposed to all the other superiors who are, who are looking down to her. But you know, it, it is great. It did do that. Um, I think with Bill, that I just didn't like that shot of, of Bill with the, the glasses. And she's mm. he's just staring at her and, and with the green screen sort of crawling around the walls. And, you know, she's got a gun and she's panicking. As you said, and let's not forget, you have Catherine shouting all the way in the, mm-hmm. in the background as well, going, don't leave me, etc. I love the way Jodie Foster comes in. Instinct, right, okay, yeah, we've got you. You're okay. Uh, actually, just... You talking about Darren about making sure we're in the right running order. Another sequence that truly horrifies me is it's actually the moment where I threaten to kind of change my opinion on Catherine is when she tries to when she tries to trap the dog. No, yeah, like, you, know what, like you know what, bitch, leave the dog out of this. I know he's a bit of a yappy bastard, but you know, don't bring the dog into your problem. But I love that sequence. That well that she's in, it brightens up, and the mm-hmm. camera pans up, and it's just the the, the bloody the fingernails, fingernails, and you just see the bloody marks of where people have tried to escape. There's so much in this film, like the autopsy, that sequence, you know, that is horrifying. Genuinely horrifying and atmospheric. And I know, kind of the the academy kind of said it was a psychological thriller rather than a horror, but it is a horror movie. There's no getting away from it. So you clearly, Darren, enjoyed this this venture down horror. Has it tempted you to maybe kind of wet your foot a bit more? That's me for the for the quarter. <laughs> so I'll to try again next season. What is that? Uh, autumn? We'll look mm-hmm. at that. We'll look at it then. But no, definitely. I think it, it was reason for me picking that that it wasn't you know a complete you know modern jump scare. Fast. Can I ask? Did you check on that website? Jump scare? No, no, no I didn't. I didn't because I, I sort of thought it's going to be more psychological. If there are going to be jumps in it, I'll deal with them. I have, I have the Butterflix uh, crew behind me here. You should watch um, Hereditary if you want psychological. I was going to say, yeah. If you, if you want some psychological stuff, watch Hereditary, darn. Well, not... if you want, you know, I'd rather watch the Eurovision film if you want to. You're setting me homework. I'll take the Eurovision film mm. all the time. I have been tempted. If you, could, if you can work up the courage, Hereditary would be similar to the story, the way the, the storytelling of um, Silence of the Lambs is so good as well as, you know, everything goes on. Hereditary is the same. It tells a really good story mm-hmm. um, and it, it absolutely messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. You've seen Midsummer, so you seen know Midsummer, so yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's the perfect adventure. So I think with that we shall move on and wrap up this week's show very quickly as we just talk about any other business and any other movies we've been watching. <laughs> right, guys. So Trez, just very quickly, give a quick shout out. What else have you been watching beyond Silence of the Lambs? Um, I haven't really been watching many films. It's mostly just shocking reality TV that's been added to Netflix. Um, just putting it on the background. But um, I did watch last Sunday. I had noticed that Film 4 had added a film called The Square. It was um, a, a Swedish film. Um, and it had been advertised just throughout the week. And... Um, I thought 
me and my boyfriend Ram would, would give it a chance because um, it had won a few awards at Cannes and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's a strange film. Elizabeth Mo- Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. is in it. Um, and it it it's basically about um a museum curator and different events that happened to him over the space of like two or three days and it's all the only the only word I can use to describe it is random it's very random um but did you enjoy it because sometimes with random it can be random for random's sake and you can find it getting a bit tedious or sometimes when random works you go actually that's quite clever that's actually quite inventive so where did you come down in that dress tedious I I had hopes that it was going to be smart in the end um you know I'm, I'm not to give anything away but he, there's like six different storylines going on at one time um and they bring in too many extra people and when you think the film's gonna when you think the film it should end and that it's going to end something else pops up again and it was actually quite long I think it was like nearly two and a half hours long um so I didn't. I didn't finish it. Um, Ryan continued to watch it, and I just asked him what happened at the end because I just it annoyed me more because I couldn't. I couldn't really get to it. I know there's a few new things added. I know the the third season of The Sinners been added to Netflix, mm. so definitely gonna get that started. Um, and yeah, Joe has kindly let us use his Shutter account. Mm-hmm. Um, on a few occasions, so I did a rewatch of Halloween and absolutely loved it. So I think I might move on. Um, just see. watch Tigers Are Not Afraid on Shutter, and it'll be the best thing you'll have watched. Honest to God, uh, honestly, it's the best thing on Shutter. Revenge is pretty good there as well. We watched it actually a while ago when we signed up to Shutter. I didn't use Joe's. I, you know, what can I say? I, I took the plunge and went for it myself. Tigers are not afraid. I've interviewed Issa Lopez. I fell in love with her. I openly admit it. I love my wife, but I fell in love with Issa Lopez. But it is one of the best films I saw at Belfast Film Festival about two, three years ago. And I've just been ranting and raving about it ever since. If you like Gilmero del Toro, if you like The Devil's Backbone, if you like Pan's Labyrinth, there is a film that's right there for you. I've been watching some De Palma because I know we're planning a little De, De Palma retrospective at Vanderflix on the podcast in the next couple of weeks and was watching Dress to Kill. Absolutely love that film. Pure Hitchcockian madness. But uh, the other thing I was just saying this on Twitter very quickly, I caught last night Black Hollywood. They've got to have us on. And uh, it's been a series. I'd never heard about it. Completely caught it by chance last night on BBC. Three episodes. And it's absolutely superb charting the history and kind of the influence and the, the kind of how it's changed over the years in representation. And if you're looking to get to know more about that, I would definitely recommend seeking out. It's available on the iPlayer. Darren, you have the joys of wrapping up this week's podcast. So beyond scaring yourself and silence the lambs, and vigorously reading up the synopsis of what goes on in Hereditary. What have you been watching? Well, sort of in, in the evenings, and I'm still in the horror zone. You, you'll like this. So oh. I, uh, well, not, not so much, but I, I recently finished Money Heist. Well, I watched the first two series of Money Heist on Netflix. So I was sort of looking around at other sort of stuff with, you know, sort of foreign shows. And I started watching Dark. Have you ever seen that on, on Netflix? It's a, it's a German sort of... Mm-hmm horror sci-fi like time travel type show yeah um it's much in the vein of stranger things it's sort of i've heard about it yeah i haven't seen it it, but i've heard about it yeah 
it is great. It is very, you know, there are some really tense moments in it. Um, it's a lot more, I'd say a lot more jumpier, a lot more scarier than Stranger Things. Um, so I've been watching, I sort of have a wee routine where I watch an episode of that and then I watch an episode of What We Do in the Shadows Series 2 just to sort of balance the tone out. So I watch, I watch the two of them. So I've been doing that an episode a night of each, mm-hmm. which has been great. But I need to watch that, the finale. I haven't watched oh. it yet. I haven't seen any of series two. I'm just going to look forward to binge it. I think it's still up on the iPlayer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm going oh my to... god, season two is so much better. It is okay. I'm so glad it was renewed. Trez is clearly excited about that, and Darren's going to be excited the fact that it's renewed. I have to sit and binge through the second series. The thing I've been trying to coax my lovely wife to watch Watchmen. So if you haven't seen it, listeners, definitely watch the Watchmen series because I know Joe McElroy went on about it quite a bit. To the point where it actually nearly put me off it because I thought it was just gonna never gonna be able to reach those levels, but I think it's absolutely superb. And it's one of the few times I like Damien Lindelof. And anyone who listens to this podcast will know he's not someone I like normally. But we'll not go down that digression. All that's really left for me to do now is thank you, Darren, for being brave enough to sit through Silence of Lambs. And I'm glad that we as a Bandaflix <laughs> team could be there to support you and offer you some reassuring comments through Twitter when things got a little bit creepy for you. No, no problem. And thanks very much for supporting me. I sort of feel that these are going to be like Jedi heads floating beside me when I'm, when I'm pausing my way through hereditary, just pausing <laughs> and rewinding. Yeah. So... We'll be there. You know what? When you decide you're ready to watch Hereditary, we'll do an honorary watch along with you okay. to be there. We'll hold your hand and uh, yeah, look forward to your reactions to the film's closing moments. And Therese, our murder queen, the millbag, other ni- such nicknames that you've built over the years. Thank you, as always, for taking part. Thank you, listeners, for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. But for now, until then, goodbye. Thank you.